Okay, so today we are joined by uh, Melanie and Mary Jo, and Dave, as always, is here. Um, so, Dave, this song yes. is important to you. It's a part of your life. You played it at a friend's wedding. I did, yeah. Played it. J JP and Justin Schuster and I did an instrumental version of the song at uh, Scott Conroy's wedding. Um, and it was pretty awesome. Like, it was, I don't know, I think that sort of cemented this song as like one that hits me right in the breadbasket every time I hear it because it was pretty cool to play it for a buddy's wedding. Right in the breadbasket. Yeah. So it's, it's this is a major one. This, is this, this like is a, a, yeah. a top, top, top Eagle song? Um, I would it? put this probably in my top dozen. Top dozen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, I think lyrically it's genius, even if it didn't start that way, according to the research. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, any Mary Jo or Mel? Do you have any history with the song? I actually played it at a wedding as well. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I well, I sang it, and my my partner Johnny he played guitar on it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it was just one wedding that I did it at. <laughs> um, not really. And of course, I'd heard the song several times, but I I did listen to it more over the past few days and. You know, I'm not, well, you don't know, but I'm not great at remembering lyrics, and so they didn't, unless I very con consciously study them, and so I would just listen and not really hear the lyrics that much, and as I was listening more recently, I was realizing how this song is very good lyrically, and uh, I would say sentimental, in a w but in a way that's not too cloying. Yeah, mm. not too sappy. It's a yeah. great way of putting it. It's not yeah. cliche. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike <laughs> maybe the last song that we right, we did "Love Me Do" skewed. last time, which oh. is like the most simple, sort of unpoetic yeah. song maybe in the catalog. I don't that, know. That's like a song where they must have clearly just been learning how to write songs at that point. You know, it's one of the least sophisticated yeah. songs I've ever heard. Yeah. Which is why we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not quite with you guys on the lyrics for this one. Um, I do think it's more nuanced than Love Me Do. <laughs> I think it's kind of structured like an essay. When I was in eighth grade, my English teacher taught us the personal essay, and he, he played uh, Stevie Wonder's I Wish huh. as to because it's structured in the form of an essay. Yeah. Like There are these specific examples in each verse and I think of this as being sort of similar in that it develops a single idea and comes back to the main sort of point of the song yeah. uh, so it has sort of more structure and interest than Love Me Do maybe and is less abstract than the other song we've done so far which has come together yeah. so it kind of it's like responsible in that way it's like organized you know um, is that your gripe with it that it's organized no it's that it's vague I think really yeah I actually don't find it to be vague what do you find vague about it there are places I remember okay okay what places what is that I think he's talking about like a general feeling of sentimentality and nostalgia which I yeah. think is pretty universal in the human experience yeah I think that's a song isn't in, in obligated to be specific mm -hmm. right it doesn't have he doesn't have to be like the town I grew the up in was the, like, the high, yeah, exactly. The high too. Yeah, this address or whatever, like, that's that would be an extreme. But, um, I don't know. I, so, 
I think that part of it is, I do think it's vague, and I also think that it's not very powerfully delivered to me. You're, you're crushing me right now. Like It's you. You should disagree. <laughs> if you love the song, I that's a, I'm not a person to, you know, that's not my no, no, job no. here is to be it, right or this wrong. This would not be a We Disagree About the Beatles podcast if we didn't disagree. <laughs> so. so the the interesting thing that you said about it being very vague from like a songwriter point of view a lot of like especially nowadays like a lot of musicians are getting into um sync you know like getting your songs placed in advertising movies uh tv shows etc and what sync agents are looking for is general non-specific vague and it's because it fits for more situations yeah so in a way like there is an appeal at least commercially <laughs> for songs that don't call out a specific place, person. They were like, you know, anything that has like a person's name in it is gonna be impossible to place unless like one of the characters in that show is named, you know, Jennifer, and that's the name you're gonna use in your song or something. So, it, you know, vague is sometimes a good thing. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. Vague, vague is, I mean, we talked about this a bit, maybe on the last, on the last episode we were like if it's too on the nose it's like it's not good but if it's too vague and abstract like come together with a bunch of gobbledygook you know, your gripe with it which i think is a legitimate gripe is that it has no meaning at all right yeah, yeah. so there's sort of i, I feel like it kind of has to be in the sweet spot yeah and this one is in the sweet spot for you. I, I think so i'm i'm curious like after you get past the the first line right there are places i'll remember i feel like the rest of the verses are are an experience that we've all had and like right c can you not sort of relate to those lyrics in a way that make you think about i don't know something or someone in your past and i think no no i think so right the sentiment comes across yeah. totally i think the other part and i shouldn't sound like i'm hammering the song here because i do like it um but it's just it's it feels like he's like writing philosophical he's like so, some are dead and some are living he like covers all the bases in a way that's really it's like okay they're dead and oh and they're living or you know some have changed and some haven't it's a little bit like i know that he's remarking on things and those have specific like that actually does mean something but there is a little bit of how general that is and how He's covering, I don't know. And then the song's about people, places, and things, kind of. Yeah. They're like things, people, nouns. places, like the it's most... Right. It's, like, it's a song about, well, that's like, that I think, what, that's kind of it, right? Like, if it's a song about nouns, it's a song about everything, you know? And I know that it's not that, but I think that that's kind of the risk or the vagueness I'm talking about, is that it's a little bit, and like you mentioned, there's commercial appeal to that, and I think one of the things I'm coming across, like, going through the Beatles again, is I think they really came up in a very commercial songwriting ethic, or like they wanted to succeed as a band and reach tons of people, and I think that that, that kind of, the lyrics are like suffused with that, at least until like the later part of their career. So I think there are, there are two themes in the, in the song that, that Lennon touches on that that really resonate with me and that make me think the song is more profound than maybe you would think just reading the the, the lyrics or, or hearing them on the song. The first is um, 
you know, as these memories lose their meaning, like over time, all these places and things and people that we've loved, whom we've loved, like those memories fade in time, right? And that's that's like that's hard to sort of wrestle with and hard to accept. And I think he's doing that in this song, and he's doing it almost comparatively by saying, "But of all these people, even you know, as I remember these people fondly, and as their memories dissipate in time." It's you, like you are the person who stands out above all. Right. You are the person I, I love above all. And I think that's a very poignant point that he's making and it relates to the second theme, which is, I think it's hard to acknowledge that, especially like, if you're, he seems to be singing to his lover, his partner, whatever. It's hard to acknowledge to your wife, your partner, your husband, whomever, that there are all these people who have had an effect on you in your past and you may still love them. Like there's, there's meaning that those relationships still still have, you know, those, those attachments to the past, um, that are still profound in a way, but you are, you are above all of that. So it's like paying homage to all these people and things in your past that you still love, but also saying, but you, of all these things, like I think it's such a graceful, I get really kind of emotional when yeah, I talk about the yeah. song. It's, <laughs> it's like a very graceful way of making that point. Yeah. I think it's, it's I'm with you on it, it being profound, like in, it, in its simplicity. Yeah. That's what makes it profound. And I mean, I know I already said this, like speaking as, from like the songwriter point of view, sometimes you can say more with less. And I think this is a perfect example of that. Of yeah. I, I mean, I get your point about like, some are dead and some are living. It's like, okay, it's, <laughs> that's helpful. You know, that's like defining everything in the world. Some is dead and some is alive, right. you know? Um, but I don't, I, I'm with you on the be, it being a very profound well, sentiment. The proof is in the response. Like I can tell that that's <laughs> an authentic thing. Mel, were you gonna jump in? Um, no, I mean, I think I, so I tend to not be a nostalgic person at all. And sometimes nostalgia kind of grates on me because I'm not like that. Um, and so I was listening to this and, you know, it's a very nostalgic song, but I think it did take listening to the lyrics for me to kind of like flip a switch. Um, and I wouldn't say like out of all the Beatles songs, it's one of my favorites, but I, I think I really evolved on how I feel about the song while listening to the lyrics because the 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 chords are very simple and it allows the words to shine through. It's mm-hmm. a great point. I mean, even the vocals are very are pretty simple. I mean, as Mary Jo and I had just have discussed in the car, uh, we talked about how the Paul did really good harmonies, but otherwise, it's a pretty simple vo- song vocally. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, one of my friends who listened to this podcast called me a Beatles truther, and I think maybe that's what's coming out here. I'm, like, just a little bit uncharitable to them in general. Um, but I do, I do want to, there's one other sort of point that, that's about the sentiment and about the, so for the three of you, it comes across very authentically felt from the heart song. For me, for whatever reason, when I hear Beatles songs, I'm a little like on my guard that they don't quite really mean it in some way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like John in particular comes across as a very emotionally 
removed or reserved person and I don't really f I so when I hear a love song like this or a sentimental song like this I'm kind of like you don't buy I'm just it. trying to make a hit record and and uh yeah I don't buy it and it, that's not to say that it's not actually gun that it's going to have that effect on everyone or that I'm correct but I just they remind it reminds me of Jerry Seinfeld um in that they're like comparable in the following way like Jerry Seinfeld is one of the most successful comedians ever the Beatles are one of the most successful rock bands ever they're respected by everybody on a technical level but Seinfeld was on a podcast with this comedian Mark Marin who's like a spiritual I'm a quester huge fan of Mark yeah Maron. right WTF is a huge podcast um, and he Mark Marin is like not as successful a comedian as Jerry Seinfeld and even like probably most people like wouldn't even really like his material all that much I think um, but he is on a quest through comedy to like discover himself discover human truth and um, I really respond to and respect that like spiritual questing and hunger and I just don't feel it in this song or in Beatles songs I just don't and that's People love Seinfeld and they're right to love Seinfeld and people love the Beatles, but I think that Seinfeld basically said to Mark Marin, like, I'm after the jokes. I go for a laugh. I try and be as surgical as possible with it. And I think there's something with Beatles songcraft that's similar. That's like these next two and a half minutes are just gonna like be perfect. Wait, so but it's your, not like Who's your Mark Marin to 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 uh Who's your who's your musical version of Mark Maron if you're gonna compare that? I think I think you hear that 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 trying to fill something or that passion in like a lot of other acts like I think um, Joni Mitchell, Otis Redding, Neil Young, um, actually a lot of performers clearly like tap into something deeper and I just don't necessarily think I hear the same thing coming out. Beatles songs. I think if you were more familiar with the catalog, you would just, we've talked about this in the first episode, where there are some, like, B-side tracks, where that is, I think your point is shattered. Completely wrong. Completely, yeah. yeah. I, I also, I'm also thinking, like, if anything, I would say that in reverse, that Paul's the hit maker, and John's yeah. the one who emotes in song, and I mean, I think that that becomes more obvious, like, during their solo careers, mm -hmm. because John Lennon is writing songs like God, Right. And um, uh, what's the one that's a working class hero, and and you know like was incorporating he was doing like primal screen ther screen therapy with Yoko, and he's incorporating that into the music, and I mean like literally just like ah like screaming in the music, and Paul is doing like maybe I'm amazed yeah. at the way you love me all the time, and it's like like just pure pop gold. Mm -hmm. You know, also and, a great song. Yeah, also, yeah, yeah no, no, I am yeah. not knocking it in any yeah, way, yeah. but but that to me, like, is is uh, here's a really good one. I read this article once that compared Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, mm. which were double A sides of they were like a double single that came out. Strawberry Fields is a John Lennon song, Penny Lane is a Paul song, and they said Strawberry Fields was very introspective. It's like he's turning inward, and Penny Lane is looking around at everything on the outside. And they're both about places, like very specific places in Liverpool, and 
I mean, now we're talking about specific places, yeah. not not general ones, but <laughs> An like about specific <laughs> places. But but like John's telling of the story of this place involves what's going on inside, and Paul's is about. There's a fireman with an hourglass, and in his pocket is a portrait of the queen, et cetera, et cetera. So. Paul is very overtly vivid. In a way. He's very he's very descriptive. Oh, he's John a great is, storyteller. I, I, yeah, exactly. He's a storyteller as a songwriter. John, I actually find to be very vivid about what's going on internally. Yeah. And we've talked about, I mean, I think it was the first episode, I mentioned I'm Only Sleeping on Revolver. <laughs> oh, that's my and favorite Julia one. on the White <laughs> Album, which are two songs by John that I think are... Just and I'm only sleeping is my favorite Beatles song. Mine too. Which, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. It's just that is. Amazing. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. I I, it, I can't imagine many songwriters who could tap into that like specific moment of like being being Asleep. roused and like how he describes the whole experience and just yeah. like wanting to be left alone. Yeah. It's it's brilliant. And Paul would never be able to write about that. And that's not a knock on Paul. Like yeah. I like Paul's songs very much, but yeah. they're just very very different. And also, from a production standpoint, there's a backwards guitar solo in that song, yes, which is, is just really it's rad. <laughs> okay. All great points. <laughs> does but but does that does all of that stuff apply to this song in particular? Do you, like I'm picking up on yes. this emotional remove or this sort of a person. I think from what I read, John was he wrote a book of poetry or something mm -hmm. and then a critic sort of challenged who like basically agreed with me it's like up till this point in your songwriting career you haven't done anything that's been very like authentic or from the heart or more sophisticated and then john was like all right i'll write this song well what and about help which was before this song and he's even said that that was like autobiographical that was like him like it was like a cry for help because right where he was in his life I'm not saying he's not trying. I'm saying that this is a challenge mm -hmm. for him and that I don't think he's conquered the challenge in this song. I will concede that if you compare these lyrics to some of the lyrics he wrote starting a year later with Revolver, for example, these lyrics are less ethereal and so they're a little bit more on the nose than, than maybe you know we would prefer. Um, but I think the themes he's writing about and the points he's trying to make in this songs are, in this song are those points are actually quite profound. I would argue and universal and universal, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, "Love Me Do" is universal too, but it's garbage, right? I mean, there's <laughs> nothing profound about "Love Me Do." Um, right. This this, this is, is like what words are easy to rhyme? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, they do, they pull it off and love me do. They do make rhymes. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. Like, okay, things in places, like, that's a little trite. But I think it's the it's the broader point he's trying to make, which is yeah. that, you know, what I mentioned earlier, how it's, you know, it's about nostalgia, sentimentality, and it's also, like, the honesty of telling the person you love, I'm sort of paying respect to all these other people. These people still have had an impact on me, and I love them even if I don't love them in the same way that I love you. And I think that's a very, very, that's a hard point to make to people. And I think John makes it just brilliantly in the, in the song. Okay. He Good. said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. So a couple of other things that I know I wanted to address. One 
was um, Paul said that there was a specific R&B singer who influenced this song. Um, Tracks of My Tears, the performer's name is, I have to look it up. That's Smokey Robinson. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. I don't hear that in this song. I wonder if this is just an example of a musician like BSing around like it was hip to probably like Motown acts at that time, and so he's just like, "Oh yeah, Smokey Robinson, that's my guy." So I, I wrote don't get this. I don't hear that at all. The changes in the Smokey Robinson song are like D C G. They're like, and I know this is a simple song, but it does some different things it from does. that, and it's not in a one four five <laughs> framework. Right. Um, so Paul McCartney, I'm sorry, that was that was garbage. <laughs> no. And then. Um, I think we have to address the solo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The sped up piano. Yeah. So that's, that's a, you know, George Martin iconic, right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's iconic. Yeah. I think so. I, I mean, I, I just learned for the first time that it was sped up piano. I didn't realize that it was. Yeah. That was a George Martin trick on many songs. Um, I, I listened to, speaking of Beatles podcasts, I listened to one called Producing the Beatles that is exclusively about George Martin's role mm. uh-huh. in all of the songs. It is really, really cool. I recommend it to everyone. Um, yes. But one of them was about, I think it's called Verispeed, is the technique, the technology that they were using. And um, he used it on that. There, there were songs even before it, and I'm blanking on them, of course, right now, but um, he used that technique multiple times. Oh, I think on... Uh, a hard day's night. Oh, yeah. The piano solo in that is the same thing. It's played at half speed, sped, and then they they sped up the tape. So, I think it feels it took me out of this. It takes me out of the song a little bit. I don't like. I don't like it. It feels. It feels like it doesn't go, and it feels like baroque, which makes no. It doesn't make sense to me within the context of the rest of the song. Well, baroque is old. <laughs> so maybe that's where they were coming maybe. out. <laughs> I also associate like my my first association with the Beatles is weirdness, and I mm-hmm. like that the Beatles. Look, my other top favorite band is Fish, right? And to me, there is no Fish without the Beatles because the Beatles made it they made it acceptable to be weird. And for me, that Baroque sped up piano solo is a hallmark of the Beatles because it's weird, and yeah. they probably were in the studio being like. Do something weird, you know? Yeah. I don't know, but it, it probably was just like, let's have fun with this. No, that's what it says, like, in Wikipedia, it says something like John told George Martin to play something that sounded like Bach. They just, like, left yeah. it blank to right. put something yeah. unusual in. I like weird, but I feel like it needs to match with other with the other parts of the song, but I don't feel like it matches. I think there's also, like, a contextual element that we living in 2021 can't quite grasp which is that nothing sounded like this at the time like the novelty of it alone was it really like it was a thing okay maybe agree to disagree on the (laughs) piano solo it comes up it's another yellow submarine is another example and the band begins to play and then they drop in like a giant I like that one though. Yeah, like, that one. I think See, that's, that's like comical that, and I feel like logical. it goes. <laughs> I, I so think that's what, too odd. So it's too odd. <laughs> what they should have done here is like, they should have just added a line that was like, and the harpsichord begins to play and then drop the piano solo in. 
and it would have made more sense. Um, well, I think the fact that you say that it's a hallmark of the Beatles and I'm not really into it that much is kind of like, yeah. it's like one of these points of sort of disagreement about, right. about the Beatles. Um, I, I think you could go down a whole rabbit hole of just like George Martin's unique production contributions to these songs and maybe a lot of the stuff that you don't dig is, is, is George. his fault. Yeah, it's George Martin. Not, not Harrison, George Martin. Um, Nothing is George Harrison's fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think those are all the. Oh, I had one other, one other thing I wanted to put in here that I thought of, which is, in 1977, uh, Glenn Matlock, the bass player for the Sex Pistols, was kicked out of the band for liking the Beatles <laughs> and trying to teach them a sus four chord or something. Uh-huh. And they were like, "Get out." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think this is the kind of song that you get kicked out of the Sex Pistols for liking. Yeah, That's That's probably true. That's probably true. And I think I say all that to say, there is something... I think there are people who agree with me on some of these points. Sure. Like the Sex Pistols, for example. (laughs) Sex Pistols agreeing, yes. You and the Sex Pistols are on one side. And you're on Glenn Matlock's side. Uh, Sure. He wrote 10 out of the 12 songs on their only album, so you got that going for you. Great. Glenn. <laughs> Me and Glenn. Yeah, you yeah. and Glenn. Okay. Um, anybody else have anything they wanted to mention? I, I'm just wondering if you had a reaction to the, the points about, like, thematically what, what John was trying to drive at. Because, like, you seem to dig at the words themselves, but you didn't really react to the themes and the points, and I'm wondering if you if that swayed you a bit or, or not. I think as I listened to it more and more, it did do more and more for me, and I don't think I had as good a reading on it as you did. Like, what you said was really organized and clear and totally based, had basis in the text, and I don't think I've gotten that far in my understanding of the song yet. Um, it's focused on other things. I'll be curious if, if when you get more familiar with the catalog as a whole, whether you return to this song and be like, okay, I, I get John's sort of lyrical style a little bit more now, and, and I kind of see what he was driving at. I, I mean, I'm just speculating, but I wonder if if there's like a familiar, people who are super familiar with the catalog, maybe like, at least, even if they don't love the lyrics, they like understand, like this is very John yeah. in a way, you know? But are you just captive to that? immersion i could be but i also like i'm not a sycophant like i don't there's not, i don't love every Beatles song mm-hmm. like sure just like there are fish songs that i trash you know and, and laugh about because they're terrible yeah, um, there are plenty of Beatles songs i think are yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so i don't think this I'm, is not one of them yeah, yeah well i'm not captive to you'll it. find me to be open in my i don't cling to yeah my ideas especially about the Beatles, where i like Avowedly, do not know. Yeah, you know. Well, but. in a catalog as as wide ranging as theirs, like not every song can be great. Yeah. Yeah, but this one seems like it's a lot of people's one of their favorites. People who love the Beatles. I think it it has meaning for a lot of people. I mean, there are people who request it at their weddings. I think because of the points that mm-hmm. you know John is trying to make in this song, and I, it's it's just too maybe it's just too British. It goes back to that British American thing. And I just can't relate. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I think it to me it sounds like 
it comes across as someone who's trying to grow as an artist. And I think that's a great thing. I think that he's like hitting some kind of ceiling for me, though, and, emotively and lyrically. And I, but I think you're you're right in a way. Rubber Soul, I think, is very much like a transition, oh, yeah. transitory sort of album where it bridges the early Beatles and yeah. the soon-to-be like more psychedelic Beatles. So I think you're right to identify that there's something like I don't think it's a ceiling, but it is. It is a stage. It's a, it's a turning yeah. point for for the whole band, but for John and maybe even Paul too and some of the songs of Rubber Soul I think it very much represents that like transition phase for them yeah Paul decided he wanted to explore vaudeville (laughs) (laughs) really okay we'll have to cover some of those songs too for sure okay pretty good song sure is yeah shall we do it let's do it Freezing, my hands are like ice. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to hear that. No, I did not play accordingly. <laughs> you just saying that for the, yeah, the exactly. listeners at home, like, if this sucks, this just sucks. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it will. No. Fortunately, we have help this week, so it will not suck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not playing. Someone else do it. I've messed it up every time I've tried.
Man, I'm sorry about that Baroque piano solo. No! <laughs> yeah, a massacre. It time. actually improved it for me. <laughs> I think okay. I like it more on the guitar. This was episode three of We Disagree About the Beatles with Mike and Dave and Melanie and Mary Jo. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.